Tom Kissingberry here. Nah, I'm just kidding. We don't have Tom Kissingberry money. It's just me, Peter Howard, and Jake Anderson meeting at the Dynasty Crossroads once a week for 30 minutes to talk about one player at a time. We look at the film with Jake, we talk about the analytics with me, and we try to come to a consensus. We do have a pretty cool theme song, though. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. DynastyWeekFootball.com and the DLF family of podcasts, I'm James the Brain, and this is the Superflex Super Show. We are welcoming a bunch of great guests. We're doing another draft special. I am James Katulis. I can be found on Twitter at underscore James the Brain, and I'll be your host this evening. I am excited, very excited to be talking about incoming rookies with a panel of guests, and I am I, I, I can't wait any longer. I'm going to introduce them so we can get to it. Um, first off, we have Miguel Chapton. Uh, Miguel is can be found at Dynasty Guru FF on Twitter. And uh, Miguel, thank you for coming on. Tell the uh, tell the listeners where they can find your uh, your work. Hey, James. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you guys can find me on YouTube now at Fantasy Headliners, and you can find my uh, wide receiver database at ffstatistics.com. Awesome, awesome. And then we also have Carter Donick. Carter it can be found at Cdon Scouting uh, on Twitter. And Carter, let, let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, James. Uh, you can find me mainly for NFL Draft and College Football Analysis at DynastyFootballFactory.com. Awesome, good stuff there. And then we have Matt Hicks. Uh, Matt can be found on Twitter at the FF underscore educator and Matt, uh, tell the fine people where they can find your work as well. Absolutely. James thrilled to be here. Um, my home base is at the fantasy I've also recently joined up with the gridiron experts covering dynasty NFL draft content, uh, year round, ready to dig into it today. Awesome. Awesome. And last, but certainly not least, if you have been living under a rock, Here's where you can find Ryan McDowell. Ryan can be found at RyanMC23 on Twitter. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Tell the people where they can find all, all, all of your work and your content. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to, to chop up the combine and these rookies a little bit with, with you guys tonight. Um, you can find most of my work over at DLF, just like, uh, just like you, James. Yeah, yeah, proud to be there, and uh, and man, there's we're packed with stuff this time of year. So definitely check that out and check Ryan's stuff out. He's always working around the clock to put out content. So, guys, let's start. Let's start with the first question because people, uh, the combine is over. We have a little bit more context to some of these uh, some of these prospects that are coming in. So let's start with the combine. What is one storyline that stood out most to you at the combine? And, and what's one storyline that's is something that maybe no one's talking about that maybe they should be that kind of flew under the radar because of some of the other stuff. Um, so I, I tell you what, Carter, let's start with you. Carter, what is one storyline that stood out to you? And what is one that kind of flew under the radar a little bit uh, that more people should be talking about that maybe aren't? Okay, well, I hate to bring it up this early, um, but I guess as the big storyline, it's got to be DK Metcalf. 
um, whether it be the agility drills, whether it be the 40, whether it be that 1.6, which is definitely fake, that body fat. Um, it just seemed like the whole storyline was centered around him this week. Um, so that's kind of the main thing that that was kind of in the, in the spotlight this weekend. And as far as uh, as far as a kind of under the radar thing, I would have to say Easton Sticks combine performance. Everyone knows he's a great athlete. Um, he's a great NDSU player, great developmental quarterback. But that three cone and those agility times really surprised me. People are kind of hyping up Trace McSorley as possibly being that next Julian Edelman, which again, all this stuff is hyperbole. But if you're looking at a player to make that conversion from quarterback to receiver, I still think Stick can play quarterback in the next level. But if a team is interested in converting to receiver, the athleticism is certainly there. So that's something to keep an eye on. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Easton Stick's a guy that we have been keeping a close eye on being a super flex podcast and uh, him moving positions maybe helps his draft capital. So that's that's interesting. Guys, real quick, before we before we move on, DK Metcalf, he was brought up uh, real quick. Let's just let's just get everyone's thoughts on DK Metcalf. I know he's a polarizing uh, player in this draft. Uh, obviously, you know, there were some some production issues. He didn't produce all the time because of injuries most of the time. Uh, but he, he's a really uh, a polarizing player. A lot of people either love him or hate him. And after the combine performance, it seems like more people are getting on board. So real quick, guys, Matt, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of DK Metcalf? You know, James, um, I am a DK Metcalf fan. He's not my wide receiver one. He's currently my wide receiver three behind uh, Kelvin Harmon and Akil Harry. The thing that I don't think we're talking about enough with DK Metcalf in terms of this combine is all the way leading up to it, I was hearing as long as he shows up and he, and he clears his medicals, he deserves to be in the top three comment or deserves to be a top three consideration wide receiver. And now that we got to the combine, he did clear medicals. He did perform well. I don't feel like we're giving him enough credit in that sense. So I feel like a lot of the focus is on his 40 time, either in the positive way or like Carter said, in his three cone in his shuttle in a negative way. But I think we got to look at his medical history, um, the red eggs that were there. There was concerns he wasn't even going to be able to play football again. And he came to the combine, showed up healthy. And that's something that excites me and brings him back into the first half of the first round conversation. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think that's uh, that's an interesting top three that you have there, though, um, with, uh, with Calvin Harmon. I'm sure we'll get to him a little later. But, Ryan, uh, I do want to get your thoughts on DK Metcalf. Where do you stand on DK Metcalf? Is the lack of production in college something that, you, that, that concerns you or the injury history? Or uh, are, are we okay with DK Metcalf being one of the top two or three wide receivers in this draft? I think after what we saw last weekend, it's certainly – uh, certainly fair to have him inside that top three. And and even if you have him as your wide receiver one, I, I wouldn't argue too much. He's he's not there for me. I think I thought Matt brought up a really good point about the clearing the medicals. That was just something that um, I don't know. Maybe we got caught up in the 40 and we got caught up in the agility stuff, but that was just something that wasn't really discussed. And as far as we know, he he was clear on that. So that's that's obviously good news for him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he was he was certainly the story of the combine. I, I agree with uh, with Carter on that. But honestly, the, you know, this he did what we expected him to do, right? I mean, we knew he was chiseled. We knew he was uh, the the way in the the measurements. We knew that was what that was going to be. We knew uh, we knew he was going to blaze the forty. Maybe not not as impressive as he did, or, or to the degree that degree that he did, but. I guess in the end, I just wasn't really surprised by much of what we saw. So I don't, 
I don't think he should be moving either up or down. If he was in your top three, that's that's where he sh still should be. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's a, a a real good point that you brought up. I mean, good on good on DK Metcalf for for living up to the high expectations we all had for him at the scouting combine. But let's let's not you know let's not uh, overplay it here. We kind of we kind of expected him to dominate uh, you know some of those drills, and there there were still some issues with the agility drills too. So Miguel, I saved you for last because you're a numbers guy. You're you're kind of the guy who really analyzes the numbers here. And with DK Metcalf, that that could be a dangerous uh, proposition when you're looking at just the numbers. So tell me what your thoughts are on DK Metcalf and kind of where you have him ranked at receiver. Yeah. Um, I quickly want to touch on his medicals. I think the it's the, the no news is good news for him so far, but we typically don't find out about that until draft night when a player falls and then you can link that to medicals um, or after once teams start releasing that they would drop the guys um, off their board or down the board due to medicals. So um, he's not, he hasn't completely cleared that hurdle yet. Um, but to, to their point, no news is good news right now. Um, as far as from like a numbers perspective, uh, athletically for a lot of the drills at the combine, yes, he is very similar to Julio Jones. Um, once you include the agility drills, he is not like Julio Jones. And once you compare his production, he is, again is not like Julio Jones. Um, I don't love or hate DK Metcalf. I, I think it's just about valuing him appropriately. Um, if you think you're getting a wide receiver that uh, six, seven years down the line is going to have that uh, and Antonio Brown level value, uh, I think that's not going to happen. Um, but if you think you're going to get a guy who can give you one 1,200 yard season with you know eight to ten touchdowns and you get really excited about it, and then he follows it up with you know a couple decent seasons and then that's about it, um, you know that's that's good too. Because uh, if you end up writing that from a fantasy perspective, if you end up writing that season to a championship or you turn that into multiple future firsts or other players and, and you trade them, um, then that works out as well. So I think it's just about valuing him correctly. Uh, I don't think he's going to be that you know future Hall of Fame receiver that uh, uh, we have out there today in a Julio Jones, but I don't think he's going to be a complete bust um, uh, like some other people kind of think he will be. Uh, he definitely has a chance for success. Okay. Okay. And a, a lot of this also, obviously we're talking about these guys before we know landing spot and situations. So that, that'll play a big part in it. I'm sure. Um, so, so yeah, but just DK Metcalf in general, it seems like everyone's a little lukewarm on him. I mean, you know, that the combine shouldn't have changed your, uh, your perspective is kind of the, uh, the over the overall answer that I think I'm getting from you guys. So that's, uh, that is interesting, and, and we'll get into a little bit later kind of how heavily you guys weigh the combine. Uh, but, Matt, I, I do want to get back on the, on the, tra on the, uh, the trail here and get to you. What were some things what, – what, what's a story from the combine that stood out to you, and uh, what's a story that no one's talking about that, uh, that maybe they should be that came out of that combine? You know, James, one of the storylines that, that I did see pretty consistently that I was really excited about was Miles Sanders. Um, this was a guy, when I was watching his tape, I really liked what I saw. I saw a lot of athleticism, really clean uh, cuts. Uh, I mean, he has the the ability to go up and hurdle over dudes. Um, he really bounces through the tackles. Really great vision, good explosion. There's a lot that I really liked on his tape, and he had pretty good production. Uh, remember, he sat two seasons behind uh, Saquon or Baquan, however uh, you want to consider him. 
Um, I prefer the latter. But in his scene, in his junior year, uh, 2018 at, at Penn State, he went over 1,200 rushing yards, uh, 5.8 yards a game, and in, in nine touchdowns. And he also caught 24 receptions. So there was a lot that I liked about his tape. But personally, I was I was holding back a little bit. And then when I saw his his common performance, a uh, four four nine forty time, that was sixth best. If we're talking about speed, it was equal to to Henderson, who's a guy that a lot of a lot of draft Twitter loves. Um, his, his weight adjusted speed score was fourth best for running backs, a one of three point six. Um, and it, it was nothing too wild, but a thirty six vert and a one twenty four rod was was really good for me. Um, and his three cone was best of any of the running backs at six eight nine. So. For me, I think Miles Sanders' stock jumped a lot. It gave me uh, a lot of confidence to go ahead and bump him up a couple more ranks. I already had him, I believe, as running back seven, but he's probably going to sneak into my top five now. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I totally agree. Um, I didn't see a lot of the stuff that you saw on film, but it made me go back and watch the film and I kind of saw things in a different perspective with him. So that is interesting. Is there anything, Matt, though, that uh, that maybe people aren't talking about from the combine that kind of stood out to you that maybe people should be paying a little bit closer attention to? Um, here, I'm going to think about a guy that, that I don't think gets enough hype in general. I, I saw a little bit of positive feedback, but I think we need to give Hakeem Butler more credit for the combine performance that he put out. I mean, he ran a 4-4-8-40, and the dude is 6-5. It's a, he had a 124.7 height-adjusted speed score. That was second only to DK. We talked about uh, Metcalf's freakish athletic upside. But Hakeem Butler is a guy who's always been kind of under the radar. Um, he only had two major offers when he was choosing his colleges. It was between Iowa State and Houston. And Houston was actually his like his, his hometown institution. So it was really impressive for Butler to even get out of Texas. And then he started off slow at Iowa State. And then in 2017, he, he sort of broke out there. And in 2018, he just absolutely dominated. He caught 60 balls for uh, 1,300 yards. It was 22 yards per catch. I mean, monster numbers. And nine touchdowns. I mean, just absolutely dominating the Big 12. Um, and so it just seems like a consistent thing that, that Hakeem Butler gets ruled out or, you know, maybe isn't as flashy as DK Metcalf or doesn't throw up, you know, reverses around the field like Nikhil Harry, but Hakeem Butler's tape is really impressive. I think he's got a really developed route tree, some of the best footwork in the draft, um, in terms of wide receivers. So I was happy to see Hakeem Butler throw up really athletic looking numbers for a guy who's six, five. But I, I don't think it's being talked about enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm sensing a theme here, Matt, because a lot of the players that you seem to be bringing up that you like are players that are high on my list as well, and Akeem Butler is one of them. Uh, so I definitely am, uh, am am all on that. But I, I'm okay with him sliding under the radar a little bit here. i got to be honest because – uh, in any of the drafts that uh, that I'm going to have these rookie drafts in, if I can get him a, a little bit cheaper, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy with that uh, for sure. But uh, let's move on to Ryan. Ryan, yeah, now I know to watch out for you, James. Oh yeah, <laughs> see, no, I shouldn't have said that. I, oh, <laughs> man, all right. Well, uh, Ryan, let, let's move on to you. What what stood out for you at the combine? What storyline that uh, that that made some news stood out to you most? And what's one that maybe didn't get the publicity that you think maybe it should? Well, I had, I had DK on my list for sure. Uh, Con, uh, Carter stole that one. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess the, the other one has to be 
it has to be Murray, right? And and that's going to be that's going to continue to be the story um, throughout this whole pre-draft process, and and probably even throughout the off season. Um, you know, are the Cardinals are are they telling us? You know, are they shooting it straight here? Are they shooting it straight? Are they really planning on uh, on taking? Murray first overall, even after Josh Rosen, even after, you know, size concerns and everything else. I, I kind of, I'm believing it. I'm buying into it. I think they, they are probably planning on taking him. Uh, we'll see what the trade market is like for Rosen. It looks like they maybe lost a trade partner today in the Redskins. Who knows how, how that plays out. But uh, even with Murray not working out, not throwing, not running, he still was, was certainly one of the headliners of the combine. As far as an under-the-radar under story or maybe an underrated story, to me, it's, it's really the entire tight end class. Um, and and this is, this is going to be a game-changer. I know all of us suffered through that, that tight end group of 2018, uh, not, not the rookie class, but just the, in, the entire season, right? I mean, injuries and, and disappointing play. It was, it was tough to find a tight end uh, from week to week if you didn't have – Ertz or Kelsey or Kittle beyond those three. So we need this tight end class. We expected it from Fant, Hawkinson, Irv Smith, and, and they all delivered. Uh, but there were so many more. The depth of this class is, I think, really going to be a game changer uh, for Dynasty Leagues. Yeah, that, that's fantastic because I agree wholeheartedly. I think you this tight end class has that top end talent, but it also has that depth throughout that uh, you could see, you know, five or six, or maybe even more, you know, constant contributors. And right now when we have three top echelon receivers at that position, uh, yeah, it, it we definitely, uh, as, you know, in fantasy and in the NFL, they could definitely use some, some uh, you know, some more contributors at the tight end position. Uh, so let's go to Miguel. Miguel, uh, you're, you're the last one to chime in here. What was it that stood out to you at the Combine? A uh, story that everyone's kind of talking about, and then something maybe under the radar that uh, that people aren't talking about enough that maybe they should. Yeah, I'll stick in my realm here of wide receivers. Um, uh, I think the the storyline that people, uh, at least that stood out to me, was that Keel Harry is athletic. Um, you know, the, the pre-Combine notion and narrative that, uh, he wasn't athletic, that he tests like Laquan Treadwell, um, that he wasn't going to run fast and, and all these things uh, uh, proved not to be true. Um, you know, prior to the, the combine, um, you know, I posted on Twitter that uh, guys with, with his level of production and, and his history um, have always tended to be above average athletes at the combine. So uh, I, I never had any worry that he wouldn't be able to hit. Um, we didn't get his agility drills. So we'll hopefully get those during the pro day. Um, but even if he doesn't hit those, he still comps very closely to a Des Bryant, which I think we'd all be very happy with if that's who he turns out to be from a career point of view. Um, so I, I think Kill Harry did not get enough credit for what he did. Um, everyone was talking about DK Metcalf's 27 bench reps when Harry did the exact same thing two minutes later. Um, and it went completely under the radar uh, on Twitter. So uh, that was definitely one that stood out to me. Um, as far as more under the radar that, that no one's talking about but should be, um, it's, uh, it's, it's my favorite sleeper, Ashton Doolin. Um, he checked every box. Uh, I mean, he came into the combine um, with an extremely high dominator rating, which you want to see out of a tiny school like Malone with a 61% dominator rating. Um, the only other wide receiver in this class to break out at age 18 
And the only thing I wanted to see from him was to be an above average athlete for the NFL. And he was that, um, he didn't fail a, a single event. Um, he overperformed in all of them. And the only concern that I, that I heard as a red flag coming in was that he might have small hands. Um, but he checked in right above nine inches, which is great. That's the threshold I have set in my model. Um, so, so that concern got put to rest and, uh, he's, he's looking very much the part of that, uh, that small school sleeper, that uh, that potential Adam Thielen that you can steal late in, in uh, dynasty rookie drafts. Nice, and we're always looking for those guys, those guys that we can take late that uh, that have that boomer bust potential, and hopefully more boom. And it looks like uh, you found a guy that maybe we can sneak in under the radar and grab. So hopefully it stays that way, Miguel. We appreciate yeah, the insight hopefully. there. Uh, so let's let's move on here, Carter. You've been you've been uh, quiet here, so we're going to get to yeah. you. We're going to get to you because you stirred up some stuff bringing up Metcalf first last time. So we're going to go with you again, and we're going to. Here's what I want to know: Who is the biggest winner after the combine? Who is the guy that improved their draft stock the most just just by just by showing up and just by doing the drills or just by being at the combine? Well, I feel lucky to be be here first because I feel like I'm still in all the good answers, but I got to go with Miles Boykin here, the receiver from Notre Dame. I feel like that's a pretty obvious answer, but I also feel like it's probably one of the right answers. Um, everyone went freakish over the 43 and a half inch vertical, which people thought was JJ Arcega Whiteside at first, actually turned out to be him. Um, then he ran the 44440, and then he put up the ridiculous broad numbers, and the agility times were very good too, just all around solid, solid performance. Um, and he wasn't really getting the buzz of a Metcalf, even though he put up better numbers all around. Obviously, that's expected given Metcalf probably the, is, the, is the superior player. Um, but Boykin's a guy on film who just didn't really get a chance to shine in that ball-heavy, run-dominant Notre Dame offense. You had guys like uh, Elise Mack and Chase Claypool getting targets there. So he didn't really get the bulk of the targets. Um, but he's a physical wideout, um, good, good releases off the line, quick and nimble for his size. Um, and I think he could potentially be a nice, nice value on day three. Very nice. So, so another guy that, uh, that, you know, we might be able to get in our fantasy drafts late that Connor is, uh, is learning us up on. So I appreciate that. That's uh, an excellent answer, Carter. Appreciate uh, the insight there. So Matt, what about you? Who's the guy who helped his draft stock the most on draft day? Who do you think? Well, James, I know this is a super flex podcast, and I am a uh, big advocate of Superflex. So I'm going to bring up a guy who I really wanted to like on tape, but there was just there was something holding me back the whole time, and that was Tyree Jackson. So Tyree Jackson, the big man out of Buffalo, a uh, huge arm, can really work the field, but he completed just 55% of his passes um, at that smaller school. Stop me if this sounds familiar. Uh but in 2018, he had over 3,000 passing yards, 28 touchdowns, and just 12 interceptions. And on top of that, he had 161 rushing yards um, and seven rushing touchdowns. So he has that dual threat that I just love when it comes to super flex. You know, in a lot of leagues, quarterbacks get extra points, and it's just it's fun to like those kind of players. But, you know, he's raw. He's, he's very raw. I mentioned the accuracy. There's some things he's got to work on with throwing motion. His decision-making is, is very poor. So there's a lot to get held back. But in terms of athleticism, Tyree Jackson running a 4 5 9, 40 yard dash just about took me out of my seat. Uh, if for context, that was the second fastest quarterback, second just to Trace McSorley. I'm sorry I had to bring up that name on this podcast. But 
for reference, McSorley's seven inches shorter than Jackson. A 34-5 vertical best for the quarterbacks. A 150 broad uh, best by a lot. Uh, and a 129.4 height adjusted speed score, uh, 112.2 weight adjusted speed score is uh, best for QBs in both of those categories. So I think Tyree Jackson, um, if we're talking draft capital, probably took himself from a, a late day three pick to uh, early three. Uh, if we get an, a quick run on quarterbacks in this draft, maybe Tyree Jackson can get up into the back end of day two. But he's a guy who I'm not willing to look at, you know, in the third round, uh, maybe the fourth round of Superflex rookie drafts. If I could jump in quick and, uh, and interject, uh, I can't wait till Tyree Jackson becomes a tight end because he would make an amazing tight end. That's what he needs to do. I can't believe his agent hasn't already made him switch. But, uh, yeah, Tyree Jackson for tight end, please. Well, that's, that's interesting with his size. That's the Logan Thomas kind of theory right there because that was probably similar to him coming out. Right. Um, similar build as well. Uh, just seeing Tyree, I actually got the chance to see Tyree at the Senior Bowl. Um, confirmed massive human being in real life. Uh, but yeah, the ball just jumps out of his hand differently than the rest of the quarterbacks there. Um, but besides that, everything else, he's got a lot to work on. I mean, the footwork was clearly a step behind. You saw guys like Minshew finishing their five-step drop before he even took his like third-step drop. It was just stuff like that. So a tight end position switch. I say take a chance and take a stab at quarterback first. Why not in such a weak quarterback class? But that tight end theory is an interesting one. Yeah, he's definitely a developmental guy. Um, but for me, when it comes to fantasy specifically, it's the reason that I have you know a ton of Lamar Jackson uh, shares, um, a ton of Josh Allen shares. I'm sorry. I know that might get some people to turn off the podcast. But when people can move around, they exponentially increase their ability to throw out fantasy football points. So I, I love clinging on to the, those guys and taking the risk on them. Yeah, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot more opportunity for quarterbacks like that as well as uh, teams are learning to kind of garner their offense around someone with those abilities. So that that is interesting too, that we're kind of seeing more opportunity at the next level for guys like that. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to throw it to you. Who's a guy that you really feel helped his draft stock the most uh, coming out of the combine? Yeah, I had a few, and and of course I had to I had to go to the ADP. You guys know I would bring that that data. I had some pre-combine rookie ADP from mocks that I had run over at DLF, and uh, and already have some post-combine. And, and Carter's on it. Miles Boykin was the biggest the biggest riser. He was. 61 overall pre-combine he's up to 27 overall post-combine so all the way up into all the way up into the the, what that early third round range for boykin and uh pretty much i I agree with everything carter said he would have been my top choice uh even without that data but a couple other guys who saw some nice jumps mikhail hardman uh up 31 spots he was he was essentially off the radar i think for most people uh, i i could certainly see him going in day two now with that performance he's uh, he he can kind of do it all um helps in special teams as well and then jay sternberger was the other guy he's up 24 full spots really liked what i saw from him uh, didn't necessarily stand out in any of any of those events or or the numbers that i saw but i thought just solid all around day for him yeah, that's interesting when we get to bring up the ADP in there, huh? Yeah, it helps. It, it, it adds a little bit of information for us. Uh, 
Travis Homer was another. He was up 22 spots. And then Kyler Murray didn't have to do much. He was up a full round, uh, nearly a full round, up 11 spots. Yeah, and full disclosure, that probably would have been my answer is Kyler Murray just because, I mean, the guy didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was show up and uh, let his height, weight, and hand size just just vault him up to uh, to to where he's he's being valued now as uh, you know most people think the number one pick in the NFL draft, and if that's the case, then I think he uh, he's going to improve his stock exponentially in fantasy drafts as well. Uh, Miguel, you're the last one to chime in here again, but let me ask you, who's that guy for you? That guy that improved his draft stock the most coming out of the combine. Um. Well, I was going to say Miles Sanders from like an immediate NFL impact because I think he'll be drafted um, to kind of be a starter or maybe a co-starter somewhere. Um, but since we've already discussed him, I will move on to uh, a lesser known guy that I didn't even know existed until the combine. I don't think a lot of people knew much about him. It seemed like everyone was kind of rushing to go check the tape. Um, and that was Alex Barnes. Uh, he absolutely blew up the combine, um, got on everyone's radar. Um, I mean, just proved to be an athletic beast uh, of a running back, which is great. Um, you know, will that end up translating to being a highly successful running back in the NFL at TBD, but at least we've got someone who's extremely athletic, um, shows a little bit of promise and in a, in a really weak running back class like this one is, um, definitely worth taking a stab at and, and hoping for the best that he kind of gets in a situation where, um, as we know for running backs, opportunity is king. So, um, all he needs is the opportunity and we know the athleticism is there. So, um, you know, he's someone I'll be uh, I'll be trying to get in uh, some leagues here and there. Very nice. Yeah, there's another uh, another guy that uh, is a little under the radar that that we can keep our eye on. There uh, is Alex Barnes. He definitely had an awesome performance at the combine. Guy who should be jumping up draft boards. So, guys, we we concentrated on the positives. Let's go to the negatives here. And man, I'm going to start with you this time. I'm going to mix it up a little bit, man. Uh, the negatives. Who who's the guy that? Uh, hurt their hurt their draft stock the most uh with with the combine performance they had yeah so i'm gonna cheat a little bit with this and i'm gonna defend somebody who didn't perform that well at the combine uh, and it was a guy i brought up earlier that's kelvin Harmon. now um i don't think kelvin Harmon necessarily did bad but he didn't do good and i'm not surprised i don't think what kelvin Harmon does well shows up in you know athletic testing that being said i do think that he's probably sliding in terms of nfl draft capital you know i, th I think it's very possible given the depth of the wide receiver class that that he's going to slide into round two and i think you know that might end up making miguel happy as a 49ers fan or i think he's going to get scooped up by a team you know early on in the second round but uh he had a four six forty that's bad um, it was a 103.3 when, when you have a, the height adjusted speed score in there, uh, 32.5 or 117 broad, uh, not too good. He did throw up 18 on the bench press. Uh, he's an aggressive, strong player. That's something I like, but you know, it, it's worth pointing out that I, I mentioned, I, I did not drop him in my rankings. He's still my wide receiver one for now. Uh, Kelvin Harmon produced very well in a run heavy offense at NC state. Remember that's that offense that uh, produced Jalen Samuels and Naheem Hines in 2017. Both of those guys. I mean, this is the guy who made Ryan Finley look decent. <laughs> so there's a lot to like about Kelvin Harmon. I think he is the most pro-ready, polished wide receiver. Does he have the highest ceiling in the class? No, I don't think so. I think you got to go DK or Harry on that. But I think he's got one of the highest floors. 
Um, really good handwork, really aggressive at the line of scrimmage and creating space downfield. He's quick enough in short burst, but he definitely doesn't have that breakaway potential. You can see him get caught from behind a few times, but a, a fairly developed route tree and really, really good footwork. So I'm, I'm, by the way, I know it doesn't translate to fantasy football, but it gets him on the field. He's a great blocker. He's a consistently oh, yes. strong blocker. Um, and, and I don't think that gets talked about enough with Kelvin Harmon, but you know, it, I don't think it's going to be a situation where we have to wait, you know, nine weeks to get him on the field like we did with DJ Moore last year. So I'm not backing off of Kelvin, Kelvin Harmon, but I'm not going to pretend like he didn't have a not, not impressive combine. Miguel, we uh, we got some sort of reaction from you when Kelvin Harmon was brought <laughs> up. So so before we uh, before we go to you, uh, uh, before we go to Ryan here, I want to get your reaction. What what do you think here with Kelvin Harmon? Uh not not a guy that you want to see on your Niners squad, I, I assume? No. Um, so Kel Kevin Harmon, Kelvin Harmon, and uh, and Keyshawn Johnson, I had as number three tied because I could not separate them for the life of me pre-combine. And then uh, they both went to the combine and performed poorly, um, just so bad. Um, I mean, Kelvin Harmon, yeah, he ran a 4-6-40. Um, I, I don't think he can be an outside receiver in the NFL. Um, he just doesn't have the speed, he, even if we are adjusting for it. Um, he, he, he had a terrible broad jump, only 117 inches, um, so he lacks explosion. Um, and then his three-cone was uh, about 7.2, so uh, it lacks agility. So I, I think the best role he's going to find is, uh, is as a slot receiver in the NFL, so his ceiling is going to be capped. Um, and while we do get a lot of Productive slot wide receivers. Um, it's we prefer to have that X receiver on the outside. So um, he's not the guy, especially for the Niners. I mean, we, we have Dante Pettis, um, and we and I still believe in, in Trent Taylor as a solid slot guy for our team. So Kelvin Harmon just doesn't seem to have a role. Um, if he doesn't succeed as a slot receiver, he's going to quickly wash out of the league, in my opinion. So uh, he he's moving down my my ranks uh, personally. Do you mind yeah, if I interject I for a second? Sorry. Bring it, Carter. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I've got to agree more with Matt's side of things. Now, I'm interested you brought up the slot receiver thing because that's more towards where I actually lean with Nikhil Harry on the side of things. Not necessarily because of the athleticism. I think with the athleticism, he can play outside. But technique-wise, he's much better in the slot right now. He played slot a lot at Arizona State. I don't think that necessarily hurts him. You see guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, again, plays primarily out of the slot. He still puts up great production. But I think that's more towards where he translates, not Harmon. Uh, Harmon's ability, technique-wise, as a blocker, he's kind of got that alpha mentality. Just love his aggressiveness, love his toughness, love his technique. Um, I still think he can play on the outside despite that 4-6. And I'm not even super high on him. He's about probably my receiver 5 or 6. Um, but kind of him and Harry are two kind of conflicting players at that position. Yeah, I, I kind of lost it for Harmon when I kind of filtered down to see whose closest comparable was, and lo and behold, it was Laquan Treadwell. And uh, that just, I mean, Laquan Treadwell put up slightly worse numbers, so there's, I'm going to say Harmon could be a little bit better, but uh, that's just not a good uh, good comp to, to filter down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I promise, even though Miguel is counteracting all my points, that that we like each other. <laughs> we, we did this for an entire episode over on the Fantasy Fanalyst podcast, an, an entire hour of this, and it was a great episode. 
an entire hour of arguing over Kelvin Harmon, huh? <laughs> well, just about everyone. We argued equally over everyone. But it was, oh, okay. it was fun. Okay. At the time, I was still a Harmon fan, so. <laughs> <laughs> Things change. Well, and that that's, you know, kind of a good point to bring up, too, is always be fluid. Uh, I think that's always an important uh, an important thing when we're, uh, we're reviewing these guys. So, Ryan, I want to go to you and get who you think you know, kind of hurt themselves with their, uh, with their performance at the combine most. And I don't know, maybe we can get some ADP data to back that up. Yeah, we've got some for sure. But again, without the data, I think it's pretty clear. It's got to be Elijah Holyfield. Um, I think from, there were certainly some questions about him entering the combine already, as far as um, just, was he even ready to, to make this leap? Uh, Of course we saw him, uh, sharing carries throughout his college career and, and but that 40 <laughs> and and then he did it again it it was just just unreal honestly um so he was a guy who was being viewed i think as in in dynasty rookie drafts as most likely a second rounder uh, in fact his adp pre combine was 18 so right in the middle of that second round and I, i'm shocked it didn't drop more than this it dropped 12 spots so he's down to 30 overall I'm not sure he's even draftable, uh, both in the NFL draft and from a dynasty perspective. I'm not sure he's worth a roster spot at this point. I have to completely agree with Ryan there. Yeah, he he completely lost it. Um, he's not draftable in, in any format of any kind, except maybe the AAF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his his performance was brutal. I mean that uh, that forty time really hurt him and. Uh, and and there was you know like like uh, like Ryan had said there, there's there was some question marks about him kind of coming into the combine you know with athleticism and speed and he definitely didn't do himself any favors unfortunately for uh, for those of us who need running backs uh, you know young running backs because there's it it's it's a rough landscape but uh, Miguel real quick let's let's get to your guy who is a guy that you think uh, you know really uh, hurt himself with the uh, with his combine performance. Um. Ryan took my guy. I was gonna say Elijah Holyfield. Uh, so kudos <laughs> for Ryan. But uh, uh, I'll go with his with his teammate. Uh, Which uh, one? And, and almost the, yeah. There's multiple. <laughs> almost the entire Georgia class. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with Isaac Nwada. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, I mean, I think he came in with a four. Someone can correct me because I, I don't have the tight end data in front of me. But uh, I believe it was a four six nine forty. Um, and and there was word out there that uh, no successful tight end had ever. Uh, it was a, a four nine up. one, I think. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. it even worse than that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It was uh, so it was even worse than that. Um, and he was being hyped as this like big time tight end who just wasn't getting, uh, you know, the the production in Georgia because they're splitting the pie there and it's run heavy and, um, you know, he was a whatever big time recruit at a high school and yada yada yada. The list goes on and then he goes to the combine and proves that, uh, yeah, he's probably not getting any of the ball because he's slow. Um, as we learned about all the Georgia prospects, they were all slow except for Nicole Hardman, who proved to be slightly above average, and that was about it. Um, so I think, if anything, what I learned from from the Georgia prospects is that we probably need to go back and, and reevaluate Fromm and, and, and how much he's lifting that team up at the moment or the team that he had. Yeah, that's an interesting takeaway from it, too. Miguel, I'm shocked you didn't go Riley Ridley. <laughs> <laughs> Riley Ridley part of that group. Um, uh, discuss that at a later date. I, I'm going to throw a name out there. <laughs> what? 
there's a guy that I really liked coming into the combine and uh, his performance kind of has me shying away a little bit. And that's little Jordan Humphreys. What did you guys oh. think of, of him and, uh, and his performance? Well, I mean, I thought he was pretty slow coming in, so I wasn't shocked by the time. It kind of gave me those Duranio Wilson vibes from a couple years ago mm -hmm. out of Mississippi yeah. State. Um, he excels kind of in that physicality aspect of his game, but I never really saw the speed on tape. I was never really a big fan in the at the start, so it doesn't really do much for me. It kind of just confirms he's very, very low on the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you, James. I I kind of liked him as uh, as maybe a fantasy sleeper if you're talking fourth round of rookie drafts pre combine. Again, that forty was just terrible. I d I don't want to put too much stock into that. I don't think I don't think we should. But even just the form, guys. I mean, before. I, I coached track, high school track, uh, several years ago, and he just had that that right arm straight out on that forty. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like seriously, they've got three months, two or three months to to practice and to train and to plan for this, and you just have to think he's going to meet with some kind of coach, some kind of sprinting coach, or somebody that's going to at least show him how to run. And I don't know if that's like a, a, a sign of poor work ethic or what, but just to even run like that is, is embarrassing, honestly. So yeah, he's, he's another guy off my board. Mm -hmm. The name is still a strength though. I'll keep that. Oh, absolutely. I'm actually still, a, still a fan uh, despite the 40 time. Um, I definitely think he'll get a coach and, and he can easily chop a 10th off that, uh, 40 time comes pro day plus the favorable pro day times that you get. So you'll probably see something in the four sixes come uh, pro day. Uh, but I, I'm not going to change this 40. I, I take what uh, you get at the combine um, as, as truth. Um, but he had favorable agility scores. And prior to the combine, the narrative was from the NFL that he's a slot receiver. Um, so being slow uh, doesn't bother me if the NFL already views him as a slot receiver. I don't need him to be fast. I need him to be quick, and I need him to run good routes um, and just get open. Um, so he still kind of checks a lot of other boxes. So I'm, uh, despite the slow 40, uh, I'm still a fan, still on board. I can still see it happening for him. Yeah, but again, I, like, I, like that point that, I like the point that Miguel brought up there. Uh, sorry to cut you off a little bit at the end, but um, I was high on him from tape um, because I really liked the way that he was able to, to dominate the first third of the field and, and – He's a huge matchup issue playing out of the slot. So, I mean, that's kind of why I think we all let out that simultaneous groan when you brought up his name because I, I wanted to see a lot more from him. I have to drop him from what I saw, but I hope he still gets a shot to hang around in the NFL. I think he's still worth stashing on the taxi squad in deeper leagues, but, yeah, definitely not a guy I can consider before back end of the third round of rookie draft, I think, at this point. Well, and from yeah. the slot, I really – I really like kind of just his spatial awareness, um, kind of similar to AJ Brown in that aspect. He just kind of knew where to be, where to kind of find the open field. Um, I didn't think the route running was all that great, but he really excelled against kind of that soft off coverage, um, which kind of helps him because again, he doesn't really have to rely on speed that way, but again, obviously still a concern. Yeah. Just, just a, just kind of a, a weird guy to, to, 
you know, when, when you're scouting them because you just don't see slot receivers that size very often. And so for him to be relegated to the slot, I guess that does help him a little bit with uh, positive agility scores. Hopefully that'll help him out somewhere, but that's uh, he's, he's definitely an interesting name. And I, uh, I wanted to bring him up because I kind of had a feeling that you guys were going to have some, uh, some thoughts on him. So, um, so let's move on here. Uh, Miguel, or actually, you know what, Ryan, we're going to start with you. What is the best player to team match for a fantasy relevant player and why? So, um, what, what player can go to, you know, the, the ideal spot and, and would make the ideal fit and, uh, and, and why Ryan, do you think? For me, I think it's, uh, well, first of all, I think there's a lot of choices, especially with the, the number of talented wide receivers, um, these top tight ends that we've talked about. But for me, the one that stands out initially is Josh Jacobs to Baltimore. Uh, I have to love what we saw from that running game last year. Of course, a lot of that was Lamar Jackson. But we even saw guys like Gus Edwards uh, excel and, and put up some fantasy points and some big yards. And, and I think if they, they spend that first-round pick on Josh Jacobs, who – feels like he's kind of cemented himself as the RB one in this class from at least from an NFL perspective and, and probably from a dynasty perspective as well. Uh, I think that could be a great pairing. Can someone remind me why he didn't test at the combine? Was it an injury or did he just choose not to? No, I'm pretty sure it was an injury. I think. I think yeah. I think he, um, yeah, injury. I think it was the knee. Groin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a really interesting one, Ryan, as, uh, I'm, I'm living in Baltimore currently. So, you know, I kind of saw the transformation of the offense firsthand last year. And you're right. They are, they're focusing on, on the, on the read zone and uh, running um, really bulking up. I mean, we saw they signed, um, spent 6 million on mm -hmm. Nick Boyle uh, oh. earlier today. It's showing you they're committed to it. And, and with the way that they're scheming that offense, it's, it's the first third of the field and passing and, and just running it running it, running it. So uh, with Alex Collins getting cut, they need another guy they can work in a rotation. And that kind of fits into what Jacobs did at Alabama. And Jacobs can catch too. Like he wasn't probably used as much as he could have been in that regard, but his, I mean, there was a couple of plays where he just tracked the ball beautifully over his shoulder. You could see that on tape where he's a natural hands catcher. So that could be big for helping Lamar get another safety valve as well. Yeah, big-time power back running behind that offensive line and in such a run-heavy system. I mean, the Baltimore Ravens ran the ball more times than any team in the NFL. So if if you can see a guy like Josh Jacobs go there and get the the uh, the you know the lion's share of carries, man, does that does that vault him up? Uh, you know, his, his his value in fantasy would just would just go through the roof, in my opinion. So yeah, I, I love that answer. I think I. I Personally, I would love to see that happen. Even as a Browns fan, I would still love to see that happen. Um, so, so let's go to uh, to you, Miguel. Who do you think is the perfect player to team fit, and uh, and why? Uh, I'm going to stick in the running back uh, section and go with Miles Sanders. And I would be thrilled to see him go to either Kansas City um, or the New Orleans Saints to replace uh, Mark Ingram, who they're letting go and then walk in free agency. Um, either two, uh, either of those two spots make them instantly fantasy relevant and easily uh, an RB one or RB two if he goes to New Orleans. Um, you know, from from day one, like he'll be so fantasy relevant, it'll be great, and it'll be in high powered offenses. So, uh, if he goes to either of those two spots, I'll be very hard pressed to like not hit the the buy button at one hundred and one. Yeah, that's nice. That I mean, if Kansas City drafts a running back, their value is going to 
going to shoot through the roof. But a guy like Miles Sanders, who is already seeing his draft stock go up, could really, really help himself in a position there or a position in New Orleans, like you stated, uh, where you know he can uh, he can play second fiddle to Kamara. And we saw Ingram have major success in that role. Maybe that's a, a role that Miles Sanders can fill. That would be nice. Um, Carter, let's go to you. What do you think? Okay, well, I'm going to cheat this a little. I'm going to say there's three prime spots for these players to go. Miguel mentioned one with KC. Really, any running back in that system, if you draft one relatively high, is going to be nice in that system. Sanders, uh, Dave Montgomery as well could be a nice option there. Uh, second would be Pittsburgh with Antonio Brown leaving. Any receiver there could fit nicely. There's a couple kind of under-the-radar guys I like there. Uh, Lauren, I'm a big fan of out of Ohio State. Uh, four three five speedster, really good technician. The better receiver than Paris Campbell for my money. I know Campbell is probably the, the better athlete um, and probably the more hyped up guy, but he's a lot rawer. Um, probably stuck to the slot in a gadget type role. And McLaurin also a great special teamer. And uh, Pittsburgh loves kind of like Darius Hayward Bay there in their special teams, so they value that in their system. As well as David Sills out of West Virginia, he'd be a nice bigger option, red zone option for them there in that spread vertical offense. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. The value of a wide receiver going to Pittsburgh uh, would would be interesting. Um, I, I wonder what that would do to a guy like James Washington's value. But some of the guys you're mentioning are kind of lower. You know, they they can be had maybe a little later in the draft. I know David sure, Sills yeah. is a guy guy with some size that uh, that might fill a nice role there um but yeah no that those are those are all interesting names and interesting places that that uh, some of these guys could land matt i'm gonna i'm gonna go to you to finish this off who do you think is the the dream uh player to team and and why i'm really interested to see your reaction on this one because i'm gonna keep <laughs> it in the afc north here i i think if we're gonna talk you know keeping it in the context of superflex i want to talk a quarterback here I don't love this quarterback, but I think a really ideal and a pairing that I have not heard a lot, Dwayne Haskins to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I really feel like the Bengals are in a position where they either need to restart or continue with this mediocre run. And I think with the new head coach, Zach Taylor, coming in, I think he's going to be ready to rebuild. And I think in particular, he needs to get his quarterback – that's going to compete with Baker and Lamar Jackson in the AFC North because there's definitely a movement and an injection of energy, and you can see that the Ravens and the Browns really are at the top of that AFC North right now. So Zach Taylor coming off with the McVay tree, a lot of West Coast elements, which I think fit in very well with Haskins and will help put him in a situation where he can succeed. So I know a lot of people want to see Haskins go to the Giants because you got OBJ, you got Ingram, but we also have a terrible offensive line and that's something the Bengals have been investing in in the last few years so I think that in particular Haskins can succeed in Cincinnati so they have two options they could either cut Dalton and I believe they would save around 16 mil in, in um, right off the cap it would not stay on as a dead cap hit or they could keep Dalton around hope that he acts as a mentor for Haskins in the first year and then the bonus here is that you keep Dwayne Haskins in the Buckeye State. And let me do, you try to dog Dwayne Haskins on Twitter and Ohio State fans will get you. So I'm sure they would love to keep him in the state. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. I think they would definitely like to keep him in the state. To me, this works best if you keep Andy Dalton, though. Um, you, you don't, I, I don't know that any of these quarterbacks are ready to start day one. I know that that's kind of 
kind of you know when you draft a quarterback highly uh, in in the draft you kind of expect to to start to see some some return on that investment pretty quick but I don't think you have to if you're Cincinnati if you can get a guy like Haskins and you can put him on the bench for a little bit and have him learn the system and grow comfortable with some of the players and the supporting cast around him. I think that would benefit him a ton. Uh, I, I kind of like the marriage, you know, I mean, AJ Green still has a few good years left in him. In my opinion, Boyd has really taken steps forward. I think the tight end position does need to be addressed with Cincinnati though. And uh, like you said, that offensive line does need to keep improving, but if you can give Haskins the year to kind of sit behind and learn from Dalton a little bit and just, just get familiar, learn the system, get familiar with the, with everything. And, uh, and then you, you know, are able to build up his supporting cast and that offensive line in a little bit. I think that would be a nice a nice fit. The only thing is, is will Cincinnati have the patience to keep him on the bench? And that's that's kind of where I don't know. I, I, I really wouldn't like to see him get thrown into that division. Um, I think Cleveland's defense is getting better. Pittsburgh's defense is very good. Baltimore's is phenomenal. Um, and that's, that's six games a year. I, I don't know that I would want to throw him into that division right away as a starter. So if he could sit behind Dalton, I kind of like it. Uh, I think that's that, that, would, that would be a pretty decent fit. Hey, James, I, I had one more. I, I thought one of these guys might steal it, but uh, no, nobody brought it up yet. Any of these tight ends to New England, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> Fant, yeah. Hawkinson, uh, even Irv Smith. Smith yeah. uh, any of those guys, 32 overall to the to the Patriots is, is obviously I, I a perfect said, match. <laughs> and I'll, I'll echo that oh. for Rams too. Well, and if I, I can I, interject quickly on that, kind of the Haskins just to kind of tie up that thread. Um, I think that system with Taylor really fits well, because ironically, my comp for Haskins is Goff. Uh, so coming from that kind of McVeigh taylor tree, where Haskins can kind of implement a lot of like mesh drag concepts, that's probably where he's at his best, kind of deciphering defenses, getting it out quickly. So that could really help him. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up, Carter. I did see a lot of comparisons between um, the way that Goff approaches the game and the way that Haskins does as well. Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I can kind of see some similarities with them. So that's that's a nice comparison. I like that. Um, get, getting back to the tight end, though, I, I don't know that I'd be able to contain myself if Noah Fant ends up in New England. Uh, I, I have have a lot of shares of Noah Fant. So if that ends up happening, you can expect to, if you have your window open, hear me shouting from wherever you're at in, in joy, uh, because I would be I would be a very, very happy fantasy football uh, owner at that point. So, um, yeah, so so let's move on, guys. we got a couple more questions here, and I really want to get your guys' feedback, but I don't want to keep you too long here. So, uh, Miguel, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, we all have our draft favorites. Every year we get our draft crush. Who is your draft crush this year and why? Um, that's a really good question. That's tough. Uh, I'm going to start broadly first and say any running back that lands in the teams we've named above, so Kansas City, Baltimore, New Orleans, um, that will be a draft crush. But since we don't know any of that information at the moment, um, I'll just stick to, to Kill Harry just because he's the safest wide receiver uh, in this class. Um, so... If I had to take one, uh, it'd be him. Um, but I do love some of these tight ends as well. But I'll, uh, I'll stay true to the brand and go with Nikhil uh, Harry and, and my wide receivers. Very nice. Very nice. I like that. Safe answer, but he's got a lot of upside too. So that's that's a, that's a good answer. I, I enjoy that. You uh, you did the you did the uh, the research there, so you get to use that one. Uh, let's let's move on to you, Carter. Who's your who's your draft crush and why? I expect you to be digging deep, though. Ooh, okay, I'll go with two a little more under the radar here. I still think they're relatively 
big names or getting bigger names here. Um, but one, Hunter Renfro from Clemson. I know he doesn't have the great production. I know he's small. I know he's limited. I know he's one-dimensional. But the dude just produces. I mean, you see this guy at the Senior Bowl. He looked like like he looked like a tax assessor or something, man. Like this guy's hairline was all the way back, and like you're like, what is this guy doing out on this field? But he was toasting everyone. His route running impeccable. The way he breaks off his routes, the way he varies his speed in his routes. Uh, I know Andy Isabella was getting all the hype there. I actually thought, and I think Isabella is the superior prospect, but I thought Renfro was better in that week in Mobile from the slot. So I think he's a guy, again, not going to maybe make, he's probably a more valuable real-life player than fantasy player, but he's going to be just in the league for 10 years on New England or New Orleans or somewhere. Uh, So I'm a big fan of his. Uh, at running back, I'd have to go with James Williams. I know he's not kind of your conventional running back, but in a league that's ever kind of relying now on passing out of the backfield, he's probably the best in the class at it. Uh, you saw him targeted on running back screens, running back wheel routes, literally like hundreds of times per game. So I know that's exaggeration, but uh, he was targeted a ton in that respect. Also probably a better runner than given credit for. He's not going to really run you over, but he's got a powerful leg drive um, and he's kind of scrappy in that regard. So I see the comparisons to James White out of New England and I really like those. I think he can be your prime third down back at the next level who can offer a, little, a ton in the pass game. So Very nice. Okay, so an under-the-radar guy that uh, that we can keep our eye on in a PPR format that, that uh, could pay us some dividends. So I like that. Matt, let's move on to you, man. Who is your draft crush? All right. Uh, I got two, if you might indulge me with both of them. Um, I'm going to start off with a guy who has a little bit uh, more popular of a name, and that's going to be Travion Williams, the running back out of Texas A&M. This is a guy who ran for over 1,000 yards in two seasons playing College Station in the SEC West. That's something that really impresses me. 2018, he totally balled out. 1,760 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns in the SEC. That was third most in the NCAA and yards and fifth most in touchdowns this guy that's really quick off the line of scrimmage i think he does have good acceleration really good downhill speed great vision really strong cuts but where 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 i think he's going to make himself a great fantasy football player is he is wicked dangerous in space and that is and he's really good coming out of the backfield releasing in the flat or you know coming off as a as a quick curl um and he catches balls and i think he is going to be a, a massive ppr threat and, and one of these guys that can be in a rotation system and still be really productive so that's my more popular name and then the guy i'm gonna bang the drum for all the way through the draft process and i'm gonna i'm gonna admit that i'm a little biased with this one because he's a tennessee vol and i got to watch him live while i was down in knoxville but um jalen Hurd is just an absolutely fascinating story. So I'll, tr- I'll try to kind of keep the background quick, uh, but it's hard with Hurd. He started off as a running back at the University of Tennessee and absolutely lit it up right away in his freshman year. His sophomore year, he ran for over 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns. He caught 22 balls for 190 yards and two touchdowns. And then halfway through his junior year, he's getting round one running back hype. Uh, day one, maybe early day two running back hype, a serious NFL prospect, uh, he decides that he wants a longer career and to make more money. So he demands to switch to wide receiver, to which the coaching staff uh, kindly told him, uh, no, thank you. Um, And he decided to then leave Tennessee and join Baylor as a wide receiver after sitting out a year. So he's a little bit older, 
Um, by the way, Jalen Hurd was keeping Alvin Kamara on the bench at Tennessee. Alvin Kamara could not get on the field because Jalen Hurd was tearing it up so much. So it was only after Hurd left that Kamara was able to tear it up at UT as well. But um, Jalen Hurd, he's really raw. I mean, because he's playing wide receiver. He's super raw right now. But from what I saw from his route running ability, knowing he's only really been a wide receiver for a year, I think he fits in really well at the position. Um, and his athletic ability is is just really phenomenal. He's a strong dude. He has chosen to kind of lay low, though. Um, he didn't want to participate in the Senior Bowl. Um, he didn't do anything at the Combine except bench. He did throw up 23, uh, 225 pounds, 23 times. So that was awesome. And, but he's kind of helping himself stay upper, and I kind of like that because I'm going to get him everywhere. Real nice. Okay, so another under-the-radar prospect, a guy who has some name cachet from his time at running back there in Tennessee that uh, is making a transition, uh, someone that we can keep our eye on. So I like that. That's, uh, that's nice. So, uh, Ryan. So if I could interject really quick, that was just yeah. really good context on Jalen Hurd. I didn't know. I remember, like, when he switched, like, positions and then he transferred, but I never knew the why. Um, so it was interesting to hear the why. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, as somebody who was there at the time, it was like one week he just stopped playing. And we didn't know for like three weeks he just totally ghosted the program. And then all of a sudden we heard he was transferring. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of conflict as to the coaching staff at that time. That was the Butch Jones era, if there's any SEC followers. So it was kind of a rough time with coaching staff, and they, they didn't oblige him. They told them to, uh, you know, there's the door. Well, and if I can also – just for that kind of senior bowl comment about him staying low uh he did attend the senior bowl and apparently he really crushed interviews there he was really great at interviews uh but i believe it was an injury that kept him out so that's good content uh, i didn't know that okay yeah so that's interesting too you don't see uh see how his medicals come out and uh and to keep an eye on him because obviously if he's killing the interviews and his medicals are clear that might be a guy that flies under the radar until draft day. So that's that's always interesting, too. And, Ryan, uh, if you could finish us off, who is your your draft crush this year? Sure, sure. I, I actually think it was Butch Jones who kept Kamara off the field, not, not Jalen Hurd. <laughs> but uh, good, good info there from Matt, for sure. Um, you know, I don't know how I should feel about mine because my guy is Hakeem Butler. Um, and, and, again, a popular name. Pre-combine, he was my wide receiver too. And I kind of felt like a little, like I was on an island a little bit, not quite by myself, but but definitely not too many people out there. And, and after he had such a strong combine, that's kind of becoming more popular from a dynasty perspective. He's he's jumped ahead of AJ Brown, I think, in, in most ranks. He's jumped ahead of, uh, ahead of Harmon as well, uh, again, in most rankings, I think, in ADP as well. So uh, to me, he pretty much had it all pre-combine the only thing I did have some questions about were the speed and and I feel like he answered those so when you have those guys and certainly he didn't qualify as a sleeper but when you have those guys that you're higher on than everybody else and then they they live up to that it's kind of bittersweet because you feel a little vindicated I guess but also his price just went way up and I'm, I'm probably going to own him in fewer leagues because of that yeah, yeah, that's just it, and I, I, I feel you with with Butler. That's a guy that I've, I, I've been high on too, and uh, and yeah, his his combine performance put a smile on my face, and then uh, when I started thinking of the consequences of it, I thought, well, maybe it shouldn't, maybe it shouldn't too much, but uh, but I was happy to see him do so well, uh, being 
being such a fan of his. A guy I want to throw out there, guys, and I, I can't help myself because I have to throw out my crush here. Um, and in this draft class uh, in particular, I, Rodney Anderson is a guy that I'm willing to take a chance on. Um, this is a guy who I'm probably going to reach on a little bit more just because I think ability-wise he's shown when he's healthy that he could do everything. I mean, he's he's an excellent uh, he's an excellent runner. He, he keeps good balance. He has excellent vision. Uh, he's able to catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he's a three-down back. And, you know, his red flag is the medicals. And, you know, obviously we'll kind of find out how those affect him, uh, you know, coming up here. But in this draft class with this running back, you know, class being as weak as it is, I think this is the year that I would take a shot on someone like that a little bit more than I would in uh, previous years and hope to hit that home run. I think without the medicals, I think Rodney Anderson would be in the conversation to be the first running back taken overall. So um, it's a guy that I really like and, and and I'm willing to kind of go to bat for a little bit more than uh, than I think most people are. But uh, but guys, I, I don't want to keep you guys any longer. We have one more question. I want to get it out of the way. And, and this is a big one for us because this is a super flex podcast after all. So I'm going to ask you guys, I know the quarterback class is perceived to be pretty weak, but these quarterbacks are going to wind up on teams and they're going to end up playing. Who is the, 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 the name of quarterback and tell me his best landing spot and why. Um, so I'm going to start off uh, going with, uh, with you, Matt. Why don't you tell us who the best quarterback is? Uh, who the best quarter, uh, what the best landing spot is for, for what quarterback and why. Yeah. And, and James, I will, I will just quickly back you up on Rodney Anderson. I love his tape. He's still my running back one. I completely agree. If he didn't have the injury history, um, he would be in consideration for the one Oh one through the one Oh three. But, um, with that being said, um, I'm going to talk about the quarterback that I have the highest tape rating on. And, and that's drew lock for me. Um, I, I really like what I saw to Drew Locke, and I got to be honest, I didn't expect to. But um, I, I think that he is a gamer. I think he does command the field. I think he has good accuracy. I think he's uh, pretty consistent, and he hits plays in big situations. So, um, but I don't think that Drew Locke can necessarily do it on his own. I think he's got to be in a situation where he has weapons around him, and so. For him, I know New York Giants is an easy answer for any of these guys, but in particular, I think Drew Locke could excel for the Giants. He's probably, as a Giants fan, the only guy I wouldn't cringe if we took at number six overall because I think we need to address the offensive line first. But Locke has just enough mobility to move the pocket, set himself, and still work the field. Um, I think it would be a really nice combination in New York. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I'm outspoken on Drew Locke because I'm pretty high on him too. So uh, I'm, I'm Locke. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm in lockstep again, Matt, with you on that one. Um, Miguel, let's go to you. What do you think um, is the uh, the best landing spot for which quarterback and why? Um, for me, I, I'm going to go with, with Kyler Murray and Arizona. Um, one, it, it just seems to be like a match that's, that's made, that's been predestined for a while now. Um, but uh, I'm willing to blindly trust Cliff Kingsbury right now. Uh, he's, he's that type of head coach that uh, seems to be the future of this kind of innovative NFL uh, offense that we're seeing um, and that we're all heading towards. So uh, since we don't have anything else to kind of go off of for Cliff, um, you know, I'm willing to, to trust him and, and see how it goes there in Arizona. Plus you have David Johnson. You've got Larry Fitzgerald for one more year. Um, you've got Christian Kirk. Maybe they even draft another wide receiver. Um, 
that, that they can add to that uh, to that core to help replace Fitz down the line. And then uh, all of a sudden you've got uh, Murray's got a lot of weapons early on. So I think he can succeed there early. Um, overall, this this quarterback class is is not without its warts. Uh, you know, I, I love Murray a lot. He analytically is is right there with Baker Mayfield, um, but contextually he's definitely not as clean. Right, he's got the height issues. He's got the weight issues. Uh, even this week, we had the the Charlie Casterly quote, um, which could have come from an interview with a team that you know is in the twenties or thirties in the draft, which maybe he checked out it at that point. But again, um, you didn't hear that type of story with Baker Mayfield, who you know also probably interviewed with teams that were uh, never had a shot at drafting him. Um, so there's there's just some some issues there that. Uh, could derail uh, uh, Murray's career that are not on the field. Um, and e- even with Haskins, he's uh, seems to shy away from, uh, from being, you know, blitzed and all that. So um, not, not someone that I'm s- someone I think is good, but just not super great. Um, overall, this quarterback class is pretty weak, but give me Murray to Arizona and I'll be happy. Yeah, that's really nice. And the dominoes that would fall, if that happens, where Rosen winds up, and and kind of the uh, the effect that that would happen throughout the league and throughout uh, you know fantasy football too would be would be really interesting. So um, I'm one of those guys who's who likes to sometimes sit back and watch the world burn a little bit. So that uh, that to me would be interesting. Uh, but uh, Ryan, Ryan, what about you? Uh, which one of these quarterbacks to you has the best uh, landing spot or fit, and why? Well, to me, the the easy answer, and maybe it's just because I've seen it in uh, nearly every mock draft that's out there, is Dwayne Haskins to the Giants. Um, obviously, we know about their quarterback need. I'm I'm a believer in Haskins. Uh, the only, maybe the only concern about that would be uh, if they're if they're able to kind of nurture his career and bring him along. I mean, are they are they going to keep keep doing this dance with Eli or, or what? I, I don't know. The, the other fit though, that, that came to mind, we were talking about Tyree Jackson earlier, the Raiders <laughs> taking Tyree Jackson, right? The big, the big, strong, fast guy. They oh, have a, man. they have a need at quarterback. They have a need at tight end. It's perfect. Ghost of Al Davis. I exactly. love it. Oh, I would love that, man. You just nailed it. Tyree Jackson, of Oakland would just pretty much make my, the, the rest of the draft could, you know, could fall apart. And if that happens, I think that would just make my, you know, make the draft worth it. So uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting answer. I would love to see that Carter. I'm going to have you finish this off here. What do you think? What quarterback to what team is the best fit and why? Okay. I'm going to go with two, two here. One, probably a little less likely, but we can dream uh, Kyler Murray to new Orleans. I know that's very unlikely to happen, but just imagine him in a uh, Sean Payton offense where he can sit, learn the ropes behind Drew Brees for a year or two and come out. Obviously, that's probably not likely. And if he's asked to bench, he might just threaten baseball. It could get ugly, that type of thing. But him in a Sean Payton offense would just be a sight to see. Second, uh, just because I feel like wanting to watch the world burn as well, I do not like Daniel Jones, but he just seems like the complete Tom Coughlin player of all time. So if Jacksonville takes him at seven, he just seems like a fit on that team. Um, Him and Fools kind of running that offense would just be so Tom Coughlin to me. Yeah, I, I'm. I, we're not going to go into Daniel Jones because you guys will be here for hours yelling at me. 
Um, so, so we're not going to do that. But I, I tell you what, uh, real quick, I'm going to share a bit, and uh, I'd like to kind of get your guys' thoughts. What about uh, what about you know I, New England's going to need a, a backup quarterback here, somebody who they feel like they can they can kind of uh, kind of build around and, and build up for the future for when Tom Brady does finally call it quits. The the link that the guy that I think fits kind of nicely there is a guy who I I could see being a good system quarterback. Does Jared Stidham in New England do anything for any of you guys? Yes, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was like, if New England takes a shot at a quarterback, um, I think it'll be later on. It'll be a Jared Stidham or a Brett uh, Ripon. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Um, so feel free to correct me on that. But uh, those are the two guys that if I'm taking a shot on like a fourth rounder later quarterback um, that could have a Kirk Cousins-like career, um, those are the two. And I could totally see New England bypassing the top of this class because, uh, one, they don't need one right away, and two, this class isn't strong. Um, and then taking a shot at an upside guy, and those are the two guys I would take a shot on. Miguel, I, I really like the fact that you brought up uh, Brett Ripien because that's that's who I thought James was alluded to or alluding to because we were we were on the same page for a, a lot of this. But I think Ripien's a perfect system quarterback that I would prefer a little bit more in New England. Um, he he works all three levels of the field just good, and I think he has a high football IQ, and and I think that he could really learn from you know, two, three years as a backup because we know Brady's getting the extension now, but I think he would be fine with that and would be a really good clipboard quarterback in the meantime. The rumors, rumors are that Brady's getting the contract. I believe three years is the rumor. Yeah, I love the I love the rip and fit like both of you guys were saying. Um, this is a guy who's a big sleeper to me. Um, great bloodlines, Mark Rippin's nephew, I believe. I think that's the case. Um yep. But yeah, intermediate uh, processor, one of the best like kind of intermediate to deep throwers in the classes. Deep balls are beautiful, even though he doesn't really have the velocity. Um, he's kind of able to make plays with his ball placement despite that. Uh, that's kind of similar to Kirk Cousins in that aspect. Kirk Cousins is not going to wow anyone with his arm, but he's able to put it in consistent spots. Decision making can get a little spotty at times, trying to do a little too much, but I'm a big fan of his tape. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I appreciate all the knowledge. And listeners, make sure that you follow these guys on Twitter. Uh, again, Miguel can be found at DynastyGuruFF. Uh, Carter can be found at Cdon Scouting. Uh, Matt Hicks at the FF underscore Educator. And Ryan McDowell, of course, at RyanMC23. All right, again, thank you guys for joining me. And hey, let me ask you listeners for a quick favor. If you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the podcast. Please do so wherever you enjoy listening to our great podcast. You can also subscribe to us on at the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed and get access to all the fantastic podcasts from DLF. And once you've subscribed, if you give us a rating and review, it really would help us expand our reach and get out to a larger audience and really zero in on what topics help you, the listener, the most. Also, make sure to send us your trades on Twitter at Show so we can retweet them, get your votes, and perhaps even discuss the trade on a trade show. You can also send us uh, to us individually. Um, you can send them to at FFStompy, at SuperFlexDude, or at underscore JamesTheBrain, and we'll be happy to retweet those and help you out with whatever we can. Thank you again to Heart and Soul Radio for the use of the song, The Addiction, and for our intro and outro music. And again, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. And until next week... Stay
stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah.